Well, as uh, James mentioned, uh, my wife's Vicki. Uh, we have three children, been married for 30, 37 years, going on 38 in January. And no, we didn't get married when we were 14. I really am older than I look. I go to the gene factory that gives me the, the uh, youthful looks. Um, I've got nine grandchildren, and I'm encouraging my children to pump out more all the time. And, um, and sometimes they're responsive to that, and sometimes they're not. <laughs> but, you know, over the years, um, my wife and I have had the privilege of serving and pastoring and shepherding in, in many different um, areas, and, uh, but over that time, and especially when I get a chance to, to preach or to share, um, you know, and Pastor Brian being the good shepherd that he is, is very careful about those things because of his love and care and concern for the people that he pastors, along with James as well. So I consider it an honor. But within that, I, I'm always humbled and encouraged by this verse uh, out of Numbers twenty-two twenty-eight. Uh, my son-in-law shared this verse about a month ago, and I think I'm going to make it my life verse as far as concerning preaching. And this is what it says in Numbers 22:28. Then the Lord opened up the mouth of the donkey. That joke didn't work that great first service thing. I, maybe I'll just kind of leave it. Um, but no, I, I really do take encouragement by that because really it is the Lord's presence and his, it's his voice, it's his word. So... There isn't that uh, necessity to be overly concerned about how things go and everything like that. Um, So today we get to finish up the book of Colossians. Uh, We're going to be going over the last few verses there. And next week, Brian's going to be speaking out of the book of Hosea, which is an incredibly powerful book of reconciliation, reconciliation, restoration, and uh, God's incredible love for us. Uh, through the message of Hosea and his life of what he had to go through. So as we're going through the book of Colossians, uh, these last few verses, I'll kind of touch on some of the overreaching themes that Colossians, that Paul writes in Colossians. But um, let's look at the scriptures if we can, and if we can just stand, and maybe we'll read them together. Um, Something that's a tradition in some churches, so I figured let's go ahead and do that. So let's just read together. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and a fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him, and Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature And fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and here in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans 
and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And the last one. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Lord, uh, we do pray as we go through your spoken word that you would enrich us, empower us, give us vision about you, and let us know you better through your word as you reveal it to us through your spirit. In Jesus' name, Father, please. Amen. As we were reading these verses, and sometimes when we read the scriptures, it's easy to read scripture and verses in general and forget the fact that they are written to and from people just like us. Men and women who have the same struggles, hopes, dreams, tragedies, sufferings, just like us. Now, regardless of the names, Tychicus, Onesimus, Archippus, and I've got two daughters who are beautiful daughters, but never once was I tempted to name one of them Nympha. Uh, but then again, to their ears, Gunther doesn't exactly roll off the tongue real easily either. So the point being is that we, 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 we think that that culture and time is so radically different from us, and despite our, our technologies and some of the advancements we've made, we still share the same thoughts and concerns and life And so it's very important that we see it from this angle. Because look at the word church in that last, uh, where it talks about Nympha and her house, that the church met there. So when we hear the word church, that brings up in our social connotation something much different than the biblical concept of what church is. To us, it's an organization, something to be feared, something to be maligned. And maybe just this building is a church to you. But really, the the word church in the New Testament, of course, means ones that have been called out, where we get some of our word assembly or congregation. So when we understand that from that reality that we share life from him and then with each other the same as they did, Christ in the midst of us, when we gather together here or if, if you're part of a small group, which we encourage you to do, You're sharing Christ there in your midst and then sharing life between each other as you grow together in him. And that is the organic church. That's what I love about this body, this particular group of believers and some of the other, uh, there's so many other churches in the area that we all gain life from because there's that organic life of God in us and sharing life together in that. And so really, as we're reading God's word here, And as the uh, Colossians were reading from Paul's hand on a scroll and listening to it being read to them, they're a community and a family believers within a society, just as we are here. But even deeper than that, which Paul talks about in Colossians in some of the early chapters, is that we're really a new culture within a culture. Remember he mentioned that God has taken us out of a kingdom of darkness and brought us into the wonderful kingdom of his son, a kingdom of light. And so literally, we have been transferred from one place under one rulership, the enemy, into a place under him and in a place of a kingdom culture that changes us from the inside out. 
And if, and if you look at these words that Paul's using here, beloved, dear, faithful, there's an affection and a love that's in there, and you can hear that. These aren't just end-of-the-letter you know, end things you just fill in when you're writing a letter or doing an email. These are real feelings and emotions that, they're having, that Paul's having for the people that are working with him or the people he's writing to. And there's a shared community that's within that. In fact, you can actually say that there's a transformation going on here that's different than what we normally live in. Because look at the verse up there. Um, let's go back up a few verses there if we could on that slide that talks about who he's working with. Ah, there it is. That's the one I want to look at. Where he talks about Aristarchus and Mark and justice. And he says this word. He says, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been great comfort to me. Now, it's really important that we understand, again, the cultural relevance of what he's talking about here. Remember, the Jews of that day, a prayer a good Jewish man would make would be, God, I thank you that you haven't made me a woman, a dog, or a Gentile. Not really very complimentary. Very restrictive. But look at what he's saying here. The analogy would be to us that these Jewish men are working with Gentiles who they shunned, who they absolutely would shun normally from their upbringing. And the Gentiles, likewise, would look at them as just a mere curiosity to a real hatred for this, these religious bigots of how they would look. In fact, to get into the Jewish faith would require a huge amount of steps just to become a Gentile Jew, in a sense, to become a uh, to be part of the Jewish faith. The analogy that Brian used earlier in the week that he, we were talking about this, and I think this, this, I want to share this. He said it would be similar as if leaders of the Ku Klux Klan would join together with black activists to work in a black community. That would be a close analogy. Absolutely impossible. By our standards, that would not happen. Well, that's the same thing here. You see, when Christ is in us, as Paul talks about earlier, there's a transformation that comes from within that changes us from the inside out. In religion, all religions are based on conformity. If you conform to a certain set of rules, regulations, you dress alike, then you're in. If you don't, you're out. But in Christ, look around you. Look, just look around you. These are the men and women you're going to be spending eternity with. And there is huge differences in this room. There is a transformation going on in us. In fact, the word for transformation that Paul uses is the word that we use, metamorphos, which means to metamorphose. We, that's where we get our word. And the picture is the caterpillar becoming a huge butterfly. Or a worm becoming this beautiful moth. So, to draw this into to us, I mean, for you ladies, you can be the caterpillar and the butterflies, and you guys can be the worms turning into the moth. It fits better. The fact that God in you is doing something so transformational 
that pushes us beyond our limitations of our human prejudices and understandings and brings us into this place of community with each other that pushes us into this place of love, acceptance, and a sharing together. There may be similarities in the fact that the worm and the caterpillar are bugs just like the butterfly and moth are, but in Christ you are becoming something that is incredibly beautiful and transformational and that you will never be the same as long as you follow and link and join with him. And really, God's love and that agape love that that, that talks about God's love, that he sees so much value in a people, despite the fact they may not know how valued they are, that's one thing. And we live that out. But the full fruition of God's love and a proof that you're walking in him, that you're growing in him, is that your friendships cross boundaries that you would normally not have. Just like Paul did here with the Jews and the Gentiles working together and there's a friendship and a collegiality. That's why sometimes, you know, maybe some of you are, feel separated and feel distant from others. God wants to push you into community and into a family and an understanding that you are not alone. You, all of us share the same things And the fact is we labor together and work together and cry together and eat together. There's something that's just wonderful about that where you just form relationships that are so unique outside of even our family experience or what we've experienced before we knew him. Incredible. In fact, uh, let's go up one more verse. Oh, no, we'll stay with this one. I'm sorry. Sorry. Soundboard does a great job, especially with someone who's just flipping them around all over the place. Really appreciate them. What God does in relationships and normative and the fact that they're just like us is in this verse in Colossians 4.10 where he says, uh, Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, um, he's talking about how dear he is to him. The backstory on this is in Acts, the book of Acts, Acts 13 and Acts 15. Mark here is just his name, but in other places he's called John Mark. In Acts 13, John Mark joined um, Paul and Barnabas, and they were going around ministering to different cities, bringing the gospel. During that time, of course, being on the road, the conditions, eating, the, the persecution that was going on, tough, tough road to hoe. And at some point along that path, John Mark, being young at that time, had enough, went back home to Jerusalem. In Acts 15, it talks about the fact that after a a ministry trip, Paul says, hey, let's go to this group of cities so we can preach the message. And Barnabas, being, you know, uh, Mark's uncle, says, hey, let's bring John Mark with us. Paul says, no way. Absolutely not. The dude is a mama's boy. He went back home. He left us. I don't have any time for this. I can't hold his hand. We're going to go minister. And Barnabas being, his name means son of encouragement, is this kind of guy that puts your arm around the shoulder and says, come on, another chance. Come on, you know, it's good. Let's give him another chance. Let's go because that's God's heart. And it, it said that they came to such a point of sharp disagreement that they split apart and left. Barnabas took John Mark. Paul took Silas, and there was a split. In fact, the word for sharp disagreement is a a particular word only used a few times in the Scripture. 
And actually, in the Old Testament, it talks about the word is used for the furious wrath of God. So imagine this fight between these two men who are leaders. And they're just banging heads. They are screaming at each other. Yelling, fighting, arguing about this. To the point that they couldn't come to any resolution and they split apart. Now, I understand for many of you, maybe that's never happened. In fact, in this room, I've probably never happened with anybody you've had. So you can just take this and encourage somebody else that you know because you've never experienced this before. Can you understand what God does here? A mere few years later, Paul's mellowed. God's done something in his heart. And now here's John Mark with him in Ephesus alongside him in prison amazing what God can do. There may be times in our lives here that you've experienced some form of that happening with you. That's not the end of the story. God can do many deep things in us because of the love of God and breaking down those things in our lives, just like it did in Paul to where there was a a union coming together. You see how these people are no different than us? But the power of Jesus and the love of God can do in us marvelous things. Very powerful things. So, at this point, this brings us to Epaphras. And let's see if we can pull that one up. Epaphras, as um, Brian put in, uh, went over in Colossians 1, Epaphras was probably brought to Christ through Paul's message in Ephesus. And at this point, Epaphras, taking that message, went to Colossia. Colossi, I should say, shared the message. Many heard and believed. And really, the Colossians were probably no more than five years old in the Lord. Many of you in this room might be in that same place where you've been in the Lord just a a little while, and you're wondering, what's this all about? How do I go on, and how do I move? Again, you're in the same boat here. So Epaphras is a man who loves loves his city, loves the people in it, And he is struggling, it says, on your behalf, the Colossians, in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in the will of God. And Epaphras here is asking that there would be a growth of becoming older, becoming more experienced, and know what God's will is for them. How many of you struggle in here wanting to know what God wants? It's no different here. But there are people laboring for you that you might know what God wants in your life and what God wants in general, and that you're able to follow him and be strong in that, just like Epaphras. But look at that word there. Epaphras is always struggling on your behalf in his prayers. I think that's very interesting. That word for struggle there can also be translated wrestling, laboring hard, and so when you think about that, what, what does that mean to us? What does, how does that relate to us? I think it goes both ways. I think, first of all, just like we struggle with our humanity and the frailties of our human condition, I think Epaphras does the same thing in laboring for his brethren in Colossae. He's, you know, there's days you get up and I could care less about anybody. I just want to take care of me have breakfast, get my tea, nobody bother me at work today or at school, just get through the day, and that's it. I think Epaphras struggled with the same things. 
struggled with his own selfishness, struggled with his own desires. And yet someone and something is pushing him forward. I remember when um, I was in high school, freshman year, I think it was freshman year, and I was on the wrestling team. And um, um, I was probably see, five, six, something like that. Didn't weigh more than about 110 pounds, which has changed since the years. But I remember being on the team, and I remember that first wrestling match that I had. And I'd been to practice and learned the clinches and the holds and the moves and the twists and everything like that. But I remember that first match. And I remember just, okay, get out there. And my legs are shaking. I mean, I am shaking. And I, you know, get down, get my stance, you know, the leg forward and, you know, just keeping the balance. And I, you know, that first clinch with the guy, I come in and, man, I'm on the mat pinned in five seconds. (laughs) I mean, I'm just laying there going, you idiot. (laughs) And I get up and walk off the mat and my teammates are... You know, just like, gosh, what's he doing on the team? I mean, I'm imagining all these things. What's he even on the team for? Man, I'm sorry. My coach comes up. Hey, you'll do better next time. And you know something? I learned through the matches, through the wrestling, to grow in being able to wrestle well. I never made stay. It didn't matter. But the point is I had to learn by doing it. And in a sense, that's what Epaphras is going through here. He is wrestling. He's wrestling and laboring and fighting and growing in that as he struggles with his own humanity. On the other side of this, though, there's something that moves him, and that's the heart of God. And the fact that this God is deep inside his heart and urging him on in his love. Remember one of the major themes in Colossians is that Christ is the creator of all things that we see, the entire universe, everything that we see. And that God the Father, through the agency of Jesus, made you and I and everything that we see. So to bring that to to some focus of understanding, I'm going to do a little visual here. And... Let's go ahead and pour up that slide real quick, can we, on, on the universe? Now, with our telescopes in space and our modern science, these are estimated sizes that we know of our known universe at this time. It says that there are literally 100 billion galaxies in the known universe, many with 200 billion stars or more in each galaxy. Now, if you're going to be doing the math, you're going to be here a long time, so let's go to this next slide. The British astronomer Sir James Jeans estimates that this total number, 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 this total number of stars could equal or surpass the amount of all the grains of sand on all the seashores of our planet. Now, I'm going to spill some last, last, last first service, so I'm going to try to do this here. Pouring the sand into this jar here, and this is just a... I'm still spilling it all over the place. All right, we'll leave it at that. 
Imagine this is all the sands on the seashore, if you can comprehend that. And I'm going to pick out one grain here. All right. This is our sun. A speck among billions and billions and billions and billions of specks. Now, I've got the earth, which is a speck that's smaller than a speck. So a speck on a speck. And then all six billion of us on this planet, specks on the speck that's on the speck. And then you, the speck among the specks that's on the speck that's on the speck. Now that would make God intensely distant and absolutely unable in your mind comprehension to even have any understanding and knowledge put together all the dark matter, which makes up more of the universe than known, that's seen, with all the dust and the distances between stars. It's an immense thought, hard, difficult, almost impossible for us to comprehend. But here you are. This goes way past Horton who, by the way. (laughs) You know, here's Horton the elephant. I'm here, we're here, we're here. I mean, you ever feel that way? But the analogy breaks down here with Horton. In the sense that God, in his son, became the speck among specks on the speck that's of the speck. The creator came and became like us. In fact, as he is here among us, he said, the father knows how many hairs on your head that will grow, or in some of our cases not grow, <laughs> from when you're born till the time you die? That's the intimate knowledge that the Father in heaven has of you. And I'm here to show you what that is. And so here is Jesus living among us, living his humanity, crucified, becoming less than a man, let's use that worm analogy, becomes a worm, but resurrected by the very power that he created the universe with to go back into heaven to be an intercessor for us. That is what Epaphras understood. Let's look at that scripture in in Romans about Jesus, if we can. Here's what Paul says in his letter to the Romans. He says, Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? That's you in this room. Called out ones. It's God who justifies. So who is it to condemn? Paul doesn't even answer because he says no one has the right. Because Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised and who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. Right now, this very present, in that other dimension we call heavenly places, he is now presently interceding for you and I, for all of us all around the world, has done so from that place when he resurrected and came before the Father. He is pouring out supplications and prayers and thanksgivings for you in heaven. That is your creator who is doing this right now. Epaphras understood that. 
You see, in most religious exercises, we're always looking for someone else to intercede to God for us. Even in the, even in the Jewish faith, God had set it up to where there was a temple, a place of worship, and only once a year a high priest could go in and offer sacrifices. But everyone else was excluded from that because of the holiness of God and our sin, our humanity, keeping us away from that. And even in the history of the church, it's always been someone else going to God, a priest or someone, a man of God or a woman of God. You pray for me because I can't. But look at what Jesus has done. He died to break down that. When he's on the cross and he's yelling on the cross, it's finished. That curtain that separated man from that place of holiness was ripped from the top to the bottom, welcoming us in, showing us as a people, first Jews and then us Gentiles, that we are welcome into the Father's presence. And Jesus is our one and only mediator, which means he says, you can ask the Father anything in my name, and I will do it. That is the truth. So whether you consider yourself, man, I really love prayer, I'm an intercessor, or you feel like the weakest of the weak, it matters not in the truth of what we're seeing here, that you are accepted in the Father, and you are the beloved, and you are the elect. And that is what Epaphras knew. Because remember, Jesus was fully tempted and tested in every way as we are. He lived his humanity and he lived it like we did, yet without sin. And remember, that's why in his weaknesses and struggles, he's a kind of priest for us, high priest, as it says in the book of Hebrews, because he knows and understands and is moved by what moves us. That's what the word compassion means. In the book of Hebrews, that whatever moves you, moves him. And he knows and understands that. And that should be something that just thrills your heart. Because that's your savior. That is Christ Jesus who made the universe. But it goes even, it gets even better than that. Because, okay, Jesus is in heaven. He's in that other place. How does that work now? Right now, in my existence here, because I can't see Jesus. Let's look at this next slide here. Ah, I forgot to say, this is, uh, sorry, I missed this one. Thank you. Look at what it says here. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications. He struggled with loud cries and tears to him that was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. And although... He was a son. He learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. This underlines what I've just said for you. But remember, when Jesus was with the disciples in, in, in the Last Supper in John 14, he said this. He said, I'm going to die and I'm going to leave you, but I'm not going to leave you like orphans. I'm going to send my spirit. The Holy Spirit's going to come and be with you, and I'm going to come to you. And again, this is what, this is what happens here, is that Epaphras understands the spirit of God. And so let's look at that next verse. Who is this Holy Spirit, and how does this work in our, in our time of prayer? It says, likewise, 
the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Now, that's incredible language. The Spirit is groaning for us before God. Now, I don't understand this concept of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit and how they are all one God. But the point is, is that the Holy Spirit groans. We groan, He groans. He is laboring for us in front of the throne room. And he who searches the hearts knows what's the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Where is the Holy Spirit dwelling right now? Not a trick question. Where is he? He is in you and I. That's a revelatory thing. Because unless we have a revelation, I mean, we can talk about the sands, we can talk about the sun, we can talk about, but unless the Holy Spirit is revitalizing us and energizing us and revealing these things to us, we can miss the practice of what we're doing here. And so here is an incredible fact that he transforms us. We're called a kingdom of priests. There's no hierarchy from intercessors to the weakest because that spirit is in us. We are blood-bought and have a right to the throne of God and into the Father's presence. Now, as we talk about prayer in general, what do I do when I pray? How can I pray? Valid question. You know what? In the first couple of chapters in Colossians, Paul is in talking about how he prayed for the Colossians. You can read, pray the scriptures. You can take the scriptures and pray them for others, for each other, for your friends, for your neighbors, for your your family. You can do that. Pray the scriptures if you don't have language for that. You can also pray in the spirit, as Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians 14, praying in an unknown language. Your mind may not understand it, but you're praying with the spirit, with your spirit. Those are incredible. What about hindrances in prayer? We all experience hindrances in prayer. All hindrances to prayer with God are always based in relational breaks. Think about this. What about when we deal with a spirit of bitterness and unforgiveness? What about, as Peter talks about, a husband not um, caring for his wife and being thoughtful about his wife don't do that so that your prayers won't be hindered. All of that is, comes back to relational breaks, right? Because you see, the nature of God is reconciliation. The plan of God is to bring back into oneness, to bring back here, not only with him, but with each other. That's God's heart and God's plan. So when we maintain a stance and saying, I am not going to, Because I have my rights. I've been hurt. And you're right. There are many of you in this room who maybe have gone through incredible torment and incredible pain because of someone in your life. I haven't walked in your shoes. But Jesus has. Jesus has. He's, He's experienced the same things you have. And he alone is able to give you a different heart for that. 
So before we move on any further, I'd like to just spend a minute going before the Lord because he's here moving among us. And, and I'd like to just, if we can, just close our eyes and um, maybe bring to mind, ask the Lord to bring to mind anyone where there's a relational break in your life that you know is causing a hindrance to prayer between you and the Father in heaven. And um, because Jesus knows our weaknesses, he knows that sometimes that's impossible to do unless God gives us a heart to do it. So if in your mind's eye you see that person or persons, ask the Lord to come and give you a heart to release them and commit them to him. So come, Holy Spirit, help us. Lord, help us in our weakness. Lord, whoever that may be, would you, would you wash and cleanse us from the pain that's been a part of that? And would you restore, even if it's not possible today, Lord, we want to release them to you and for your work and that you would wash us and cleanse us and um, give us the heart and the mind to be able to move past any places of relational breaks and hindrances there. In Jesus' name, Father, thank you. So, I hope you're encouraged as you've Receive from the Lord these verses and the fact that as we read these, we see a powerful God coming into our existence and into your life. And the fact that God made you and created you for himself to be a people that are distinctly unique from any other. And that you're a family. And there are friendships and places for God to take you in. That'll be absolutely incredible. And I hope also that you're encouraged, as Epaphras was, as the mighty Spirit of God that dwells within you to propel you into a place of laboring and caring for others as you feel God's compassion for someone else. Or a situation that seems impossible, like our brother who had cancer, and yet God came answering the prayers of his saints that we are a kingdom of priests, as Peter says. And you have every right and authority to be able to call upon the God of the universe and move the heart of God and see God work in your lives and in the lives of others. 
So one last thing before the band comes up to share in some worship. In Zechariah 12, 16, Zechariah prophesies this incredible prophecy that talks about a spirit of grace and supplication and prayer being poured out on his people. And through that, the Messiah is seen. So I'd like it again just to pray. Bow your heads again and just let's wait on the Lord for him to pour out on us that spirit of grace and the power to pray by the energy of his presence. So, Lord, again, move over us as your people here. Pour out literally that idea of pouring out, just like a, 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 a pitcher of water being poured out over us of your presence. And encourage us with your favor and give us strength and grace to pray. Give us the power to see beyond ourselves and see your desires and to be fully aware of your will and your heart and your mind. Please pour out your spirit of supplication on us right now. We wait on you, Lord. We need you. Thank you that you've heard us. We're not just screaming, hear us, hear us. We're here. I thank you that you've come so close to us. Thank you for your grace on us right now. In Jesus' name, Father, thank you.